Early in the morning on August 29th, 2005, Hurricane Katrina struck the Gulf Coast of the United States. The storm was one of the most horrendous storms ever recorded in history. By the time it made landfall, it was a Category 3 and brought winds up to 140 miles per hour. It stretched across 400 miles. The storm itself did a great deal of damage, but the aftermath of it was catastrophic. Leaving people stranded literally on their rooftops, trapped in houses, trapped in attics, wounded, in desperate need of help. These people were beyond desperate. They were stuck, completely at the mercy of those that would come and rescue them. They did not have means to save themselves. It is what we would literally call a desperate situation. Thousands of lives were saved as a result of rescue units turning compassion into action. The Coast Guard alone rescued some 34,000 people in New, in New Orleans. Rescue units rescued people that were stranded on their homes, literally some of them camping out for days. The Coast Guard and the Red Cross worked around the uh, clock and saved thousands of lives. We use this as an illustration because this was the largest Red Cross relief ever recorded. More than two, uh, 245,000 Red Cross disaster relief workers assisted millions of people with shelter, food, and medical help. One million meals were served within one day of this rescue operation. Now I ask you this, can you imagine if those that have held the ability to go out and rescue them just turned and said, too bad, it's not my problem, let somebody else do it. America would have been outraged. It would have been considered inhumane and heartless to let those people stand on the rooftops, crying out for help, desperate needs, stranded and hurting, and say, just let them die. People around the world are crying out for help today in the spiritual sense. You say, how is that? Every time somebody kneels down to a rock and prays to that rock for help, they are desperate. Every time somebody will go up to a statue and pray to it to save its life or to help it in its greatest time of need... That's desperate. It just shows how desperate they are if they're willing to cry out to something that does not answer them back. Without help, they will die. But they won't just die. They will die without Christ, and they will go to hell. This is urgent. If America would respond in urgency to those that are struck by a natural disaster, how dare the church not respond to the great commission that Christ has given us? And ask the question, what if God's people took action the same way that the Coast Guard did when the hurricane hit? What if we stood and we went after people realizing that every second counts? That every second that we do nothing, somebody dies and somebody goes to hell. Have we answered the need? Because we hold salvation in our hands. Missions is simply God's people supplying the need to hurting people. Today we have four missionaries with us that are surrendered to accomplish the mission of going, seeking, and rescuing. They are willing to go if churches like us are willing to send them. And this is the plan that we find in Scripture. Over the next few days through our missions night on Friday night, Sunday morning at 10 and 11, that's what we're going to be focusing on. It's not a suggestion to the church to go after people. It is a command. It's our commission. It's not an option. It is what we're here to do. Tonight, I wanted you to get to know those that are going to be going out and rescuing people. Those that will literally be 
like Jesus Christ, to rescue the perishing, care for the dying, to seek and to save that which is lost. Understanding that every second that they are out doing the work of God is a second that they are giving somebody to know Jesus Christ before it's too late. Uh, it's good to be here uh, with you uh, this night. Um, our home church is actually in Westerville, uh, Calvary Bible Baptist Church, and uh, we have been there for 20 years. Interestingly enough, uh, my salvation story started, oh, about 30 rows back. And uh, my, I, my wife's family, we were in high school. Uh, my wife and I are high school sweethearts. And one of the first things her mom did uh, when she met me was ask me if I was a Christian. I said, yep, I'm a Christian. I go to church. And she said, okay, we'll see. And uh, so we, we, she brought us to this church, and I sat back there. And that was when Pastor Dinoff was here, and he was pretty fiery. And I was not used to that whatsoever. I came from a church background where we didn't get excited. Uh, your 10-minute sermon was enough, and that was enough to get you to heaven. And that, and that's, and that was the gospel truth according to them. But coming here and, and having the invitation and everyone closing their eyes and bowing their heads, that was, that was foreign to me. But uh, like any unsaved person would do during the invitation, I rose my hand uh, because I didn't want to be caught dead with my hand down or my hand down. And uh, that was the start where God started started to work in my heart. Uh, That was October 93. October 94, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal savior. And from that point on, God began uh, to do a great work uh, in my life. Uh, Of course, met my wife in high school. We married uh, after college. We both attended Capital University. And after that, got married, and God began to do amazing uh, things uh, in our life. We got involved with our church, and uh, my wife and I uh, did some amazing things at Calvary. We got involved with different ministries. Awana was one of them, and our kids are back there doing Awana right now, so we're happy uh, to see that. Uh, But eventually, God would start to work in my heart and move towards missions. Uh, We will uh, talk about that later this week in uh, different group settings. But um, God's just been amazing uh, through our family. I'll have my wife uh, share a few things. Hi there. So believe it or not, I lived on Winchester Pike from the years of... Uh, that I was 14 um, up until I got married. I lived just down the road from here. I used to ride my bike past this church, and I grew up in a Christian home, but my family was kind of in and out of church. So I was here some. I don't remember a lot of people. I don't even remember the youth pastor's name because we weren't very involved, but I was here enough to uh, to bring Josh along, and I believe it was part of God's plan, obviously, to share the gospel with him so that he could be saved. And it's just amazing to come back full circle, to, to be back here. The pews aren't red anymore. I noticed, but I actually kind of liked the red pews. I didn't mind that at all. It was kind of a cool thing. Um, So yes, Josh began feeling a a tug for missions, and we will be sharing that more later. I was the resistant one, and I'll admit that now, and we'll talk about that in more detail as the week goes on. But eventually, God worked in my heart and actually worked through some tragedy in my life. I had breast cancer and went through just a low time in life. But God gave me the opportunity to continue to live and to uh, have a new focus on living life for him. And I was saved, but I was really kind of resistant again, like I said, to um, to ministry, to full-time ministry. So when I went to Honduras, though, uh, God got a hold of me. I thought that I was going to go to Honduras for one week for a little uh, missions trip and that God would use me there, but I'd come back and just go back into my little bubble. I really had no desire to live anywhere other than central Ohio because it's the best place in the world, I pretty much think. So uh, it took me some time, and but when I was there in Honduras... It was not 
a day. I kid you not, not 24 hours into me being there, God started to give me a desire and it was something new for me. I really hadn't experienced that before. Just this little flicker, just this little light of, wow, this is really awesome being a part of God's work here. I got to see great need. Uh, Need outside of this country is like nothing. You know, there's just nothing here that can prepare you for the need that exists out there and the, the need for rescue and the hopelessness that they really do live in. In Honduras, it's 97% Catholic, so it's very much a works-based salvation that they're being taught. And even that, they're not really participating in very much. So they walk around with a lot of guilt and a lot of wonder and a lot of thinking, boy, am I going to be good enough? And so we want to go with the true gospel there, and we're just excited about it, and I'll let Josh continue to share a little more. Yeah, so one of the big things that, um, like Aaron said, um, there are, the Catholic faith is big in the country, uh, works-based salvation. And our plan is to go and, and present a gospel that uh, folks can understand and they can see, hey, that we're saved by grace uh, through faith. So we want to take that message uh, down there. We're going to be working with a few other American uh, missionaries. We're going to be church planners. Uh, so our whole purpose in going is to share the gospel, to see folks get saved, disciple, train them, and then they will learn uh, how, to, how to follow after Christ themselves. And then we will turn those churches over to the nationals, let them pastor it, and then we will go on and, and plant other churches. And it is awesome and exciting to be in the middle of what we know that God uh, is leading us into. Uh, so sometimes I think, you know, is this real? And it is real. And uh, every day it gets even more real. Um, as far as our support level, right now we're at uh, 46.4%. Uh, in the past few months, God has just done an amazing thing uh, seeing those numbers uh, climb up. But it's just awesome to watch him work and watch his faithfulness. Uh, it's interesting. A, a couple of weeks ago, I woke up just burdened on a Monday morning and saying, God, I'm just burdened. Um, we want to get there, but man, I'm just not seeing it quick enough. And you know how it is. You start to think it's not going to happen. There's no way. How can God do this big thing? Uh, but he does. And we're actually praying about getting to the field next summer. The average missionary spends roughly about 39 months on deputation. We started in May of 2015. So for us to do it a little over two years is way under the average. Uh, But I just like to pray to my heavenly father because I know he's got the resources necessary to make it happen. We're just asking him for what I think is a little thing because I know that he can do it. So that's how you can pray for us. Pray that we can get to the field and pray that when we get down there, we can learn Spanish because that's what we're going to have to do, learn the Spanish language and just pray that God would open up doors. Just just pray that he would bring people our way and that we can meet people and that uh, we can share the gospel with them. In the um, one last thing, in the, in the um, Central American culture, the men look at church and they say, that's for women and kids. It's not for me. And so I want to go and I want to see that changed. I want to see these young men get saved, these fathers get saved, bring their families in and see a culture transformed by the gospel, not by taking a bunch of money, education, but with the gospel and with the gospel changing lives, that can change a culture. So that's what we're going to be doing. So pray for us that we can get there. Pray for us on the road because it can be quite hectic and busy out there. Pray for our kids as they're homeschooled. Pray for my wife's sanity, uh, homeschooling in, in the van. And uh, we, we so much look forward to sharing with you other things that God is doing in our lives, more about our testimony and, um, and, and how you can participate in missions as well. 
Well, it is great to be back. Um, I've had the privilege of being here before, uh, as Tony mentioned, and awesome to pour into ladies. And that's what I've been doing for a lot of years now, as he mentioned. Um, but as, as he also indicated that several years ago, the Lord began to open our eyes to what it looked like to be a woman in another part of the world. Ladies, if you're sitting here tonight, and you have da- men, if you have daughters and you have sisters and mothers, um, I can't tell you um, what a blessing it is to be a woman who lives in the United States of America. Um, to be able to go to the grocery store without fear. To be able to, um, to be able, for a woman to be able to go shopping by herself and not have to be escorted for fear that something would happen to her. Um, so many uh, we have crime in the U.S. We have lots of things that we battle here. Uh, but for a woman outside of these borders, life looks very different. Uh, very different. Over 20 million tonight, as we sit here, over 20 million women and little girls are trafficked. They're sold into sexual slavery around the globe. 20 million. And as, as he was saying, sometimes you look at these problems and they're, they're astronomical and they're like, Lord, how in the world could we, make, could we make a difference when there are 20 million women that are affected by this? And when you start looking at the numbers, it, 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 as you break them down and you understand that over 80% of the world's impoverished are women. Over 70% of the w- women around the globe cannot read or write. Many of them have families They have children that they're responsible for. And as a result of this, they're trying to feed their children. In the Dominican Republic, um, a mother will lock her children at home, put them in bed, lock the gate, lock the door, and she will go out onto the streets and be a prostitute for the evening in order to put rice and beans on the table for her children the next day. And the heartbreaking thing with all of this is that almost all of these women have never heard of the good news of Jesus Christ. They've never heard. They don't know that there's hope that's found in Christ. And so as we're doing ministry here for women in the U.S., and the Lord led us and began to open our eyes as the Lord, um, in a a very short window of time, the Lord took us um, to Nepal. He took us to India. He took us to a tribal region of an indigenous village in Mexico, And he took us to the Dominican Republic. And we sat down with safe house leaders, women who are rescuing. And we began to hear the stories and we began to understand what the needs were. And I went back to our board and presented some of these things to them and said, I don't know what God's doing, but we need to pray. And we really, really began to pray over what God wanted us to do. And out of that was born Hearts and Hope Global Solutions. And I want to tell you exactly what that is and what we do as part of that ministry. Now, we're still ministering here in the U.S. I still travel. I go to women's conferences because the Lord showed me that he didn't want us to stop what we were doing here because it was an important part of the equation. So what we do is we partner with missionaries, church planners, and those doing business as as missions in countries that are closed around the globe. And many, many, many women that are unreached are in these areas of the world where missionaries are not even allowed in that country. And so that part is closed. And so we find other ways to get in. 
and we come alongside these people that already know the language, that are already have a presence in the community, whether it be through a church, through a church plant, or through a business that has the reason for its purpose in being is to get the gospel to people. And we come alongside them and equip them and train them on how to reach the women in their community. And sometimes that really starts with just kind of the way Jesus did it. It starts with a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. It starts with helping a woman to be able to get some food and to be able to get medical treatment if she needs it, uh, to be able to um, just find some relief. And then there's this opportunity where we have to tell this woman, you do not have to do this. Uh, Right after the earthquake in Kathmandu, Nepal, recruiters flooded into Kathmandu because people were desperate and they were in desperate situations. And when Tony said that tonight, I thought, what a great word that depicts what the world looks like is desperate. Because as these mom and dads lost everything, recruiters came in and offered to buy their little girls for $500 a piece. And thousands of little girls disappeared from Kathmandu, Nepal in the weeks after the earthquake. And many of them are in atrocious places today that we wouldn't even want to mention in here as to what they're being asked to do. And so as we step in and rescue, we have an opportunity to come alongside, to share the gospel, to give people help, to give them hope. Um, and, And there's a lot of organizations that are giving help but very few that are giving the hope of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if a woman is fed and she is it's no longer and she learns to read and write and she dies and go to hell, we've missed it. We've missed it. So we come alongside, we help them. And as a result, you get what you see on the tables out here. Uh, we have a table out here and I think right out here we have another table. This is not a yard sale. All right, let me tell you what this is about. When a woman is rescued, she needs a way to feed her family. It's important for us to give that woman dignity and worth by teaching her a skill that she can do to take care of her children. And so they learn to make jewelry, like the piece I have on right now. Uh, these earrings uh, were made by a woman in Ecuador who has been rescued. These, this necklace was made by a woman in the Dominican Republic that's been rescued. And so instead of having to sell her children or instead of having to sell herself, these women now come to a place where it's safe and they make jewelry or they make purses or they make sandals or whatever it looks like around the globe. We come alongside, teach them how to do that, train them on how to do that. And now I've got purses, jewelries, sandals, scarves, and somebody's got to buy all this stuff. And so I get that from them and I bring it back to the United States of America where women, okay, come on guys, I'm going to let y'all say amen right here really good and loud. Are you ready guys? Because women shop, right? Okay, there we go. All right. And women buy purses and they buy jewelry and it's getting ready to be Christmas time and you're looking for presents for people and you're thinking, what am I going to buy aunt so-and-so and who, what am I going to get that really hard to fit teenager and that college, what am I going to get these people? It's on the table tonight. All right. You can find, and it's not just a gift. But the purchase of a purse feeds a woman's family for an entire week in most countries around the world. A necklace changes somebody's life. It's crazy that that could happen, but it truly, truly does. And so uh, I'm excited to be with you this week. I'm excited to share with you what God is doing. I can just tell you that as desperate as it seems and as big a number as 20 million seems like, one by one, God is reaching out and he is doing amazing things.
And we are watching God reign victorious over some of the darkest places in the world. And I'm just really glad he let me be in on it. Um, And so if you've got more questions, find us at the table. But don't leave tonight before you get something really cool for somebody that you love. um, And that you can remember you've made a difference in somebody's life. My name is Becca, and I am going um, as a team missionary to Bangkok, Thailand. And this um, theme is quite interesting, um, and it's pretty much how God does things. Um, In 2005, when Katrina hit, I was actually living in Florida. That is where I grew up, and uh, I was a junior in high school. And when this came through, we weren't sure at the time if it was going to hit us or if it was going to hit the other side. I live on the east coast of Florida, and uh, it missed us. And I remember um, hearing all about it. I mean, we lived through this, and we sent people over. And so it's very interesting that this is the theme because this kind of relief is what um, I'm most familiar with. Being in Florida, um, you probably have heard of my town um, because of Hurricane Matthew just hitting it. It it made landfall in the U.S. right where um, I am from, in Brevard County. That's where it hit. Um, It went right through there. Praise the Lord. Um, Just hours before it was supposed to hit land, it teetered 20 miles offshore um, and was not as bad as they were expecting it to be, at least in our area. Had it stayed on course or teetered 20 miles inland, it would have been devastating. Um, So this kind of relief really does hit home for me. Uh, Hurricanes are my life. And so um, it's very interesting. Also, in regards to Thailand, you may have heard of Thailand just recently, within the past week, um, the king of Thailand just passed away, October 13th, 2016. And through this whole time of deputation, I have been telling people, you know, people ask, is it safe for you to go over? Is it, you know, this, that, and the other? And I have said, well, one, I'm always in God's hands. So regardless, God is in control. But two, we are writing this fine line of the king. He's been sick for a long time. When he passes away, I don't know what's going to happen. No one does. We don't know what is going to happen with the government. We don't know what's going to happen with missionaries. We don't, we just don't know. Our reality has come to pass in the past week um, with the king passing, and it has completely shaken Thailand to its core. Um, It's hard to wrap your mind around, and this is kind of the comparison I make. Think if the queen of England passed away, how that would affect the world, but really England and the UK itself. That's basically what has happened in Thailand. The king has reigned for over 70 years. And so he is the only king that the majority of Thailand has ever known. They are absolutely heartbroken because their king, who is known as the father of modern Thailand, is gone. And they don't know what to do. The prime minister let out a statement 15 hours after the passing and said, pray for the soul of the king that he will find rest in the afterlife. And I read that and it literally broke my heart. Pray for the king of Thailand. 
for his soul. They are praying for somebody, one who's already dead, but they are praying to Buddha who can't even hear them. Thailand is, is a country that is just slightly smaller than Texas. 67 million people live in Thailand. Bangkok alone has 11 million people. That is the size of Ohio. In Bangkok, that's the capital. That is where, we'll be, um, where I'll be working with the Salmons. Less than 1% claim Christ. Now, that less than 1% could be anything. The numbers that, that we say are roughly, very, very roughly, 10,000 people out of a country with 67 million people in it claim Christianity. So numbers sometimes blow my mind, and I can't wrap my head around them. But if the rapture were to happen right now in Thailand, nobody would notice. 10,000 people out of 67 million people are gone. It's like nothing ever happened. So this theme is absolutely perfect, and that's how God works for what is happening in Thailand right now. They are searching, desperately searching. People are, are coming from all over to Bangkok to worship and to pray for and to mourn the loss of a king. And we want to tell them about the true king of kings. And they're searching, and they're ready to listen, and they're ready to have, to hear about the true king of kings. So as much as an uncertain time this is over there right now, it is the absolute perfect time. And God knew that all along, to go over and to be a witness and to share the love and the hope in Jesus Christ. Just to give you a little bit of background about myself, like I said, I grew up in Florida, was there my entire life, grew up um, just 40 minutes east of Disney World. Um, so that's kind of kind of where I was, right across the river from NASA. When I grew up, I wanted to be an astronaut, but I'm pretty sure that's what everybody wanted to be in my area. So that's what I wanted to do. Um, I'm very thankful that God had other plans, because I don't know that I would have survived that. But um, grew up in Florida. I'm not an outdoorsy person. I'm just not. I like inside things. I like air conditioning. I like things to be in order. I'm just, I'm not outdoorsy. Um, But my family would always take vacations. I have a younger brother, and my parents had just gone to Thailand. And so um, when I was in eighth grade, instead of going to Disney World on vacation, like normal people did, uh, they took my brother and I across the ocean and went to Thailand. And um, I'm not an outdoorsy person in America. I'm really not an outdoorsy person somewhere else in in the world. The first thing we did was went to youth camp in Thailand, um, and that is not my thing. We slept on concrete slabs. We ate things that I still to this day don't know what it was. Um, as an eighth grader, eighth grade girl, like, not my thing, not it. And if you would have told me then, hey, God's going to call you into missions in, to be a missionary back to Thailand, I would have laughed in your face and said, yeah, right, no way, and ran the other way. Um, I'm very thankful God doesn't um, show us the entire plan all at once, because if he hadn't, it wouldn't have uh, been good. But um, that seed that was planted as an eighth grader grew 
and developed into a love for a country and a people that are not my own. Um, I recently was in Thailand in, in 2013, and when I, at that point, I had already surrendered to be a missionary in Thailand. I, I didn't know quite the details of all of that yet, but I had already surrendered to Thailand, and it had been almost nine years since I had been back, and I was flying over with this burden and this weight of what if everything I remember is not is not it. I get there, and it's nothing like I remember. It's nothing like anything that I thought. Um, so I went over with this very extreme burden of, uh, God, I really hope you know what you're doing. Um, as we were flying from Hong Kong into Bangkok, right before landing, I look out, and it's midnight. We've traveled over 24 hours to get to this point. So sleep deprivation may have played a small role into my emotions. <laughs> but as we were flying in, I look out and see the lights of Thailand and of Bangkok, and I knew I was home. I knew this is where God wanted me, and I knew that everything that I had expected, God had truly ordained and had led me up to this point. So um, I, when getting there, it was everything I thought. As soon as I walked off the plane, I told um, Ricky Salmon, I said, it smells just like I remember, exactly like I remember. It's really not the most pleasant smell in the world, but it smells just like I remember. And that's when I knew that this was where God um, was calling me and was going to have me. I'll tell you more throughout the week um, about my calling and about Thailand, but I just want you to really think through this theme that we have, and and all the missionaries up to this point have already said it, you know, what are we going to do about it? And if we don't go, who's going to tell them? Um, One quick story, and then I'm done. When I was there in 2013, we went to a temple and there was a group of four, three, four, and five-year-olds on a field trip sitting in front of a, a Buddha being blessed by a monk. And they didn't understand what he was saying. He was just quoting words, some prayer that he had memorized in a dialect that they didn't know. It was just, this is a prayer of blessing, pray it. Um, when we came out of of that area, we were able to take pictures and, and kind of interact with some of the kids. And actually on my prayer card, on the front of it, it's a picture of a little boy. And if you look in his eyes, um, you can see how hopeless he is. He's the reason I'm going back. I don't know his name. I may never meet him again. But if I don't go... He will live growing up thinking Buddha is the way to nirvana, which is nothingness, essentially. He will grow up thinking that that is the only way to do life, and there's no other way. Because of things that have led up to this point, and with the king passing, and and this time of mourning that Thailand is in, He and his family are now searching for something. And now is the time to go and to share the love of Christ with them. 
I'm currently on deputation. I leave in 104 days to go to Thailand. Lord willing, should all the visa stuff work out. Lord willing, 104 days, I have a one-way ticket to Thailand. And I'm so excited to get there and to just share the love of Christ with the Thai people and to, sh- to tell them about the true King of Kings that can bring true hope and peace into their life. Uh, this is the first time I've been at a service here, I think, in 28 years, <laughs> believe it or not. Uh, it was kind of a joke between Dr. Denhoff and I. We tried to schedule to come to the church. Uh, again, uh, been a missionary in Scotland for 20 years, and our schedules just never worked out. Uh, we scheduled a couple times he had to cancel or I had to cancel, and every at the end I, I was called him, and he said, Ah, uh, just forget it. We'll, we'll catch you some other time. And so, again, thank uh, uh, Pastor Tony for allowing us to come. I, I do want to, uh, again, say a couple things before I begin tonight. Um, the ladies over at the BEMA office, Judy and Sandy, I, I cannot thank them enough for everything that they do for us. I, I know they're in Awana uh, tonight helping out. Um, but they they do so much more than what most people think, you know, collecting money, sending it out, so forth. Uh, they have written they they have written letters for us to, to the government, uh, written letters uh, to our bank in order for us to purchase church buildings. Um, they do so much for us, and I cannot thank God enough uh, for their two, uh, for those two women and their faithfulness again to the missionaries, uh, because what we accomplish in Scotland could not have been done without the two of them. And I thank God uh, so much for them. Uh, Let me uh, tell you where my wife and I are at right now. Uh, This is my wife, Denise, uh, over here in the corner. Uh, We, in in, uh, December, we finished our third church over in Scotland. Uh, We've started three churches over there, and we uh, put a national uh, young man uh, to be the pastor of that church. And uh, we basically came home hoping to be back in Scotland uh, by July to start our fourth church. Uh, we had lost about a thousand dollars of monthly support, and we were just coming home to raise that. I thought we would just be here for a couple of months and go right back, but unfortunately, things uh, did not go uh, as we planned. Um, for whatever reason, uh, 20 years ago at that time, most of the churches that took us on for support were running about 250, 300, between 250 and 350, the majority of the churches. Uh, today, I would say a majority of them, 90% or greater, are now below 100 people in attendance. Uh, many of them are just basically doing their very best to keep their doors open, let alone support missionaries. And so we have lost, I, I believe it's between 14 and 17 churches through the past 20 years have either closed down or no longer can support us uh, because their numbers have dwindled so much. Um, in August, my pastor took a, look at, <laughs> took a look at our situation and he said, Barry, um, you can raise support but it just looks like you're going to keep on losing it, and that has been the case. And so he told us in August we need to find another direction. Uh, But our burden has been those churches. Um, I I can't even begin to tell you the heartbreak of uh, churches that we, you know, were in that that were so strong. And now today to see the doors that are closed down and to see them uh, just barely making it. Uh, In fact, just a, a church... On the other side of the state here, uh, ran about 700 people when we were there 20 years ago. And I was so excited to go back to the church, but only to find the first two rows. 
that was it. That was all that was left of that church. And so we have kind of changed course to minister to the churches that are struggling because not only is this affecting us so we can't go back to Scotland now, it's going to affect other missionaries and it's also going to affect the Bema office here before long. And so we are trying to do our very best to minister uh, to these churches because inside of dead churches, I, I need you to understand, are dead people. Or dead Christians, okay? And so our focus has been changed, and we are taking a look at these churches. How can we get them back into God's Word? Because it's just so obvious uh, the level of Christianity has dropped uh, in the 20 years that we have been gone. And uh, it's just plain as can be. Uh, and, and so we, we are going and preaching and, and addressing these issues. And I, I'm thankful to say the churches that we've been to, the altar has been full after, after almost every service. And God has been, been using us again to reach uh, some of these churches that are struggling to hopefully awaken the church again to the importance of just a daily relationship with God, which again will turn to a greater burden for the things of God. And what um is the lost world, isn't it? And so, again, that is what we've been looking at. That's what we've been praying about. Uh, we've been, uh, again, praying about coming alongside of Bema and representing Bema and getting the word out about missions. And so I ask you to pray for us during this transitional time. Uh, to be honest with you, my wife and I are devastated that we cannot go back to Scotland. But God has given us another burden. Got to get America back again. Amen. We got to get this country gone again. And we preach every weekend as much as I can and trying to get this message out. We need to wake up. Scotland, 150 years ago, they were sending missionaries out all over the world. Town that we are in, Paisley, had 38 church buildings. Let me explain. They had more church buildings than any other city in Scotland. You know why they had so many? They built one. They filled it up. They built another one. They filled it up. They built another one. They filled it up. And went on and on. Today, almost all those buildings are empty. And I'm not talking about little churches. I'm talking churches that ran 700 to 1,000 people. Not little churches. Today, again, a nation, less than 1% of the people attend church anywhere. Scotland. And it breaks your heart to go into these big, beautiful church buildings to see them empty today. But you know what? I'm seeing the same thing here. And so that is our burden, to reach local churches again, get people fired up for the things of God again, that right relationship, getting involved in missions once again. And that is our burden, and I ask you to pray for us concerning that. It's not an impossible job that God gave us to do 
We call it the Great Commission. If you're new to church, if this is the first time that you've been part of a, a meeting like this, Jesus said in Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, and the last words that came out of his mouth as they were leaving, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature. Now, something that you've got to get as we do this, the Bible does not command us to save every creature. It doesn't say that we're to go and make converts of every creature. That, that's between them and God. And the, the sower went out the sow, and it, some fell on stony ground, and some fell on good ground, and some was choked out. We know that. But I do believe that the heartbeat of our God was that every person would know that there was hope in Jesus Christ. That was to, to literally take every one of these to, to Honduras and Thailand, the Dominican Republic and Scotland and America and sow the seeds out to where every person would know that there is a Jesus Christ and there is a Buddha. And within their heart, they can choose, but at least they would know. And I've had people say, make comments like that. And say, I just can't believe in a God that would send people to hell because they've never heard. And God looks out at us and said, they've only never heard because you won't go and tell them. Quit blaming God for what we're, we're we, we've been blessed with the, the instructions, the manual, the power, and everything else to go and do these things. And guys, it, it ought to fire us up. It ought to, it ought to stir us up, first of all, how much God has blessed our church. And God has blessed our church. God has blessed us with mission program. God has blessed us with great people. God has blessed us with great facilities. God has just blessed us. God has blessed us to be part. Guys, just so you know, the, the, the work that Barry was just talking about of sending out and doing, that board is the, the, the building across the street that Our Ladies Fund and our church gets behind it. It's part of the thing. Maybe we should talk about these things. But every time you give, you're given to that office, which is given to these missionaries, making all this possible. God is doing great things. And I believe that you, you say, why aren't we part of those statistics? And I'm not saying this to boast us up. It's not about boasting up Fellowship Baptist Church. But let me tell you, you reap what you sow. And I can tell you that a fellowship has been allowed to, to reap the blessings of being able to go forward and do these things because of the fact that we've been sowing into missions and sowing to do what God has said. Without a doubt, I, I believe that God's going to continue to bless our church as we continue to do what God has called us to do. We've been focusing a lot on greater things. And they're back to back. And a lot of people looking at it going, wait a minute, I thought, I thought it was greater things. Let me tell you, the Bible says in Acts 1.8, and he, he said, and you shall receive power after the, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. But then the second part of the verse says, and you shall be witnesses. You're going to go and be witnesses of me, both in Jerusalem and all of Judea. And I know you, most of you have heard this before, but just so you know, Jerusalem is the same thing as him saying Columbus. It starts right here. It's not a matter of... Oh, we need to put all the emphasis on Kidstown, bus ministry, reaching our community, recovery groups and all that other stuff and not do this. It's just the first part. It's, it's phase one. OK, it's, it's step one. It's part of what we do. Guys, we can't lose focus of making disciples, investing in people, having young at heart tomorrow at noon and having somebody walk behind a pulpit and give the gospel. That does not stop. It must be done. We're raising the bar of trying to do more and more things and making disciples is because we have the first in Jerusalem and then all of Judea, all of America and Samaria and under, unto the uttermost parts of the world. But if we ever lose the fact that that's all part of the goal, we can't lose the fact that that's all part of what God's called us to do. It's not just part of it. 
We can't just do part of it and think that we're doing all right. It's all of it. So yes, it's greater things at Fellowship Baptist Church. And yes, it's faith promise of sending missionaries. God's called us to all of it. I was in the office with Richard and, and uh, we, we have a, a company. It's an online company, the largest online company that, that makes graphics and things like that. And, and Richard makes most of these things. When we come up with a theme, Richard makes these things. He makes the banners and comes out with all that. I said, you know what, let's see what they've got. I, I want to see creative ideas on missions. So he pulled it up. They have, and I'm not just sitting, hundreds of graphics, hundreds of graphics for worship nights, picnics, hundreds of graphics, ideas, motion things, all these different things to promote within your church, all these different events, hayrides, all this stuff. And then we clicked on missions and two graphics came up. Two. There's just no demand for it. It's something that We've asked other churches, what are you guys doing in your church with missions? They said, oh, we don't even, we don't have a missions program here. We, we, we don't do that. We did it. But I'm thinking, what, what has happened? That's the reason why America has become the fourth largest mission field in the world. That is why a few weeks ago at Fellowship Baptist Church, I met a missionary. I asked her where she was going. She said, I'm a missionary to America. Other countries are now sending their people to us. So yes, we've got to see the urgency of missions. We've got to see that everything that we do right here of the class that you teach, the children that you love on, the fact that even tonight, guys, we change things. We don't have as many people in here as because we kept all the classes, the teens and everything. They're all in their classes tonight. We have however many people all over. And all these missionaries are leaving here to go into all these groups and area, and they're ministering to them right now. I said, teach them how to do it. Answer their questions. Inspire their hearts. Lift them up. It's time that we have a burden to make disciples that will make disciples and send people around the world to do the work of Christ. It's not impossible. And I don't believe it's too late. I believe that it's just going to take... Becca's and, and Barry's and it's going to take Reba's and it's going to take uh, the, the Taylor family and the rest of us just doing our job. You'll never, ever be disappointed doing the work of God. You'll never, ever be disappointed getting behind God's work or sending them out. It's the most exciting thing we do on the face of the planet. And by the way, it's the only thing we're taking with us when God takes us home.